We're talking about uh, renewing your mind and the process of renewing your mind and the reason why that's so important. Romans 12, 2 says that, um, that there's three things it talks to us about. Um, it says, first of all, what it's talking about is being changed. And we've looked at, looked at scriptures, and we're not going to go back over those, that talk about what the Bible says God has already done for you. whole list of them we gave you, and we only gave you a very partial list. Not only what God has done for you, but what God has deposited in you. When you come to Christ, God literally puts in you His kingdom, His nature. He takes you out of the dominion of darkness, the domain of Satan, and puts you into the kingdom of His beloved Son. But He also puts His kingdom in you. So He took your old nature out. He put a new nature in you. And that new nature is His nature. That's how you became His child. Then to give you the ability to walk that out, He put His own spirit in you to lead you and to guide you. And so that's what the Bible says God has given to you us and all that comes with His Spirit, which is Himself inside of us. You literally have God. That's why Paul says in a number of places, don't you realize you are the temple of the Holy Spirit? You are, you are, a, you are a church in the world's eyes. You are a temple that God dwells in. And when you begin to recognize that, it will change how you see yourself and how you act. But that's the problem. What we discovered is although that's all in us, that's what God has done for us. The reason we're not enjoying more of it is we have, not come to, we have not come to recognize what God has done in us. And you will only act upon and you will only talk about and you will only act in accordance with what you believe God has done for you, not what God's done for you. And so we talked about the legal side and the vital side. And we, we had a chart up there that shows you all the things God's done for you on one side and all that we're experiencing on the other side. And we saw there was a big difference and then we saw in Romans 12, 2, that it tells us how to get everything that God's put in us from the left-hand side of that chart to the right hand. The right-hand side is what you're experiencing in your everyday life. And Romans 12, 2 tells us three things. It tells us something not to do. It's to not be conformed to this world. And we've looked at what that means is to not allow the pressure of this world. And that's not just the pressure of your finances, of what you're going through in life. There's a pressure out there to talk like everybody else, to think like everybody else, to act like everybody else, regardless of who you are. And it's to keep who you are contained inside so that nobody else gets to see what God has done in you and is doing in you. That's what not to do. But God never just tells you not to do something without telling you something to do. So he tells us not to do that, not to allow that to happen. But and if he tells us not to allow it to happen, that means it's possible for us to not let it happen. And then the second thing he tells us is something to do. And that word is to be, con- is to be transformed. It's a very different word that means to take what God has put on the inside of you and bring it to the outside. And there are a number of scriptures we could have gone to. I quoted one in the prayer. It's in, I guess in the end of uh, 2 Corinthians chapter 4 where it talks about that we're transformed from glory to glory by the power of the Spirit of the Lord that is in us. And so, um, so that's what... But the process happens by renewing our mind, changing how we think. And so we've gone through all that. We've looked at, what the, we've looked at how God's designed us, that we're made up of th- really three, two different kingdoms. There's three parts to you from God's perspective. You are a spirit being. Just as God is a spirit, you're a spirit. That part of you, it comes from God's, the kingdom of God. That is a spirit realm. And that part of you is, is an eternal part of you. And that's your nature. That's who you are. And then that spirit being lives in a body. That's the parts that you see and that you, we all see of one another. That's made up of this natural material realm. We talked about the fact the way those two material realms exist is they cannot make natural contact with each other. So God's given you a third part, which is your soul, made up of your mind, your will, and your emotions, and that is a bridge between your spirit and your soul and your body to connect the two together. And then we begin to see why the mind is so important, because your mind is one part of that soul. What controls the soul, and therefore what controls everything else about you, is your will. But your mind has an incredible influence on your will, and so do your emotions. We've seen that the way God made that first man and that first woman was that that spirit was to be in ascendancy and to be in dominion. And it was it, because that spirit was in perfect contact with God and His will. And, every, and that the mind was given to them to help figure out how to carry out the command of God. And we could go back and look at it in Genesis 1. We see God gave them dominion over the, over the kingdom that He established here in this realm 
He gave them authority. He gave them the responsibility. And Adam went out and named everything that's ever been named. Now, just to be able to remember names, <laughs> let alone to give the names. He had an incredible mind, but he used that mind to come up with names and to identify things. And so the mind was given to us, given to that first man, to carry out those instructions, the will of God that came through the Spirit. And then the body was given to be submissive to the will, to the mind and to the Spirit to carry those out. And when Adam came in, all he was really trying to do was get that out of order. And he did it by getting them to elevate their mind above the Spirit. And that's been the battle of man ever since. We saw that once you were saved, that God puts you back in the original order. But the problem is, because you the power to do that's in you. But God didn't change how your mind works. He changed your nature. And that's why Romans 12.2 says we have a responsibility to do something with our mind. And we did all that so we understand where the mind fits into to the scheme of things the way God has ordained it. Now what we're learning is how to do that. We're beginning the process of understanding how to renew that mind. We really probably won't get to that till next week. But what we've been talking about is how the mind works. And we've used as the scripture for that 2 Corinthians chapter 10 where Paul says in verse 4, for the weapons of our warfare are not carnal, that's of the flesh, they're not of the body, they're not of the flesh, but they're mighty in God for the pulling down of strongholds. We talked about what strongholds are, that word means a fortress, like a castle that's impenetrable with natural forces, but with the power of God it is penetrable. And many of us have those strongholds in our lives. And uh, casting down, the King James says, imaginations, the word is arguments in New King James. And every high thing that exalts itself against the knowledge of God, bringing every thought into captivity to obedience of Christ, being ready to punish all disobedience when your obedience is fulfilled. We've identified in here three different things. Thoughts, imaginations, and strongholds. And that's the system by which your mind works. So we began to talk last week and got into what thoughts are. And what, what these are, these are thoughts, imaginations, and strongholds. Strongholds are the parts of you that control you, and we'll get to those tonight. Imaginations are what makes up a stronghold, but the imaginations are made of thoughts. Now, we're all somewhat familiar with imaginations, because some of you have more fertile imaginations than others, but we all have an imagination, because we picture things. And I used the example last week, that if I say apple you're not going to have run through your mind the biological description of what constitutes that piece of fruit, but your mind is going to picture some kind of round object, either green or red or yellow or something like that, with maybe a stem coming out or maybe a leaf. You'll have a picture in your mind. That's an imagination. And so many people, when they teach about renewing the mind, deal at that level, well, we need to change the pictures in your mind. So they'll tell you to picture yourself differently. And what you'll find is that's very hard to do. How do I do that? And so we're going down, there's a step below the imagination, which is so important, and we're going to spend some more time on that tonight, and that's your thoughts. So what we talked about last time is that's the basic unit that your mind works in. Those of you that are familiar with computers know that computer programs are operated in the most basic piece of information there called a bit, and it's just one digit, zero or one. And the, all the programs and the sophistication runs off of that, but, but the computer programmers have to learn what those basic pieces of information are. Well, your mind works with thoughts, and that's what we were talking about last time when we finished. We talked about the fact that everything in your mind starts with a thought. Even your emotions are based on thoughts. Some of you are more emotional than others and you just think, you know, something happens and I just, my emotions just get immediately out of control. But what we're learning is you can go back and figure out what the thought was that was the basis of that emotion. And we're not going to spend a lot of time on that tonight because I went back and gave you some examples out of my own life. Well, I talked about the fact that when I found myself at one point, was just realized I was worrying and I didn't figure out, you know, sometimes when you're, you're dealing with anxiety, you can go back and you can identify what it is. But there are other times you just know you're, you're just kind of anxious and you don't even know why it is. Well, I've learned to trace my thoughts back and figure out what it is from. Also, that's another way to tell whether you're being led by the Spirit or not. It's a little sidetrack. Listen to your own words. 
I'll listen to people and say, well, the Lord told me this. You know, the Spirit of God is telling me this. And what I hear somewhere in the mind is, well, I think so and so. Well, if you're saying, I think this, that's not the Spirit of God leading you. Because you don't think with your spirit. You think with your mind. And so, well, God told me this. How do you know that? Well, I think, you know, you begin to put the pieces of information together. Remember I told you last week, I told you the, the example, and I, most of you, I assume, know what I'm talking about. Those children's books that are dot to dot, connect the dots, you know, where you have, you know, uh, uh, there may be a theme to the book, and you turn the page, and here's a, and it, there's a little, there's a statement, and there's a few lines, but there's dots. They're all numbered, one, two, three, four, five, maybe up to 25 or something like that. And the idea is if you can connect one to two to three to four to five to six, you'll lump, end up having drawn the duck. So, and, so that, the, but those dots are like thoughts. If you put enough dots together, you'll get an image, and we're going to talk about that in a few minutes. The problem is we don't always follow the right numbers. And if you draw, follow other numbers, you can f- create a false image. So anyway, the point here is this, that everything in your mind starts, we're talking about the fact that your mind operates based on thoughts. And the reason that's so important is because the, the way we begin to change our thinking process, the way we begin to change our images of God, ourselves, and other situations, starts at the thought level not at the image level. You can't just automatically flip a new image. You've got to know how that image was created. So in order to, in order to renew your mind, you have to literally learn to change your thoughts. In order to do that, you're going to have to learn how to identify your thoughts. And I'm going to give you some techniques, not, not right away, but we're going to go in a few weeks, I'll give you some practical techniques of how to do this. But before we get to the techniques, I want you to understand the process so you can know how to apply the techniques and why you're applying it. Then I ended up with this principle that it's not what you see or hear that affects you, it's the thoughts that you have about what you see and what you hear. It's very important to understand that because if you don't understand that, you think you're controlled by circumstances. So that's why people will say, you don't understand, you know, I come from this nationality, we're all, we all have a quick temper or we're all emotional or, you know, my family's all has this problem with anger and all of that. That's, an, that's, that's the world's mold to keep you where you have been. But when you came to Christ, you became a new creature. You now have the ability of God, the power of God inside of you to change. But if you keep having those old thoughts, well, this is the way we are, what that is a stronghold that exalts itself against the knowledge of God and the knowledge of God in you. The reality is, the reaction that you have emotionally to things is not caused by the circumstances. It's the result of the thoughts you have about the circumstances. Otherwise, everybody would have the same reaction to the same circumstances. And I ended last week by telling you the story of a, of a young girl I read about or knew about, actually, because friends of ours knew this girl who was in a, a child in Vietnam village in, war, in the Vietnam War who saw her entire village massacred in front of her, lined up and gunned down, including her entire family. And she escaped and eventually came to this country. And with a devastating experience, she ended up ultimately living a healthy whole life, becoming a medical doctor, having a, 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 becoming a Christian, becoming a, having a healthy family and marriage. So obviously, in spite of those emotions and the trauma, she was able to change some things because she applied some principles in her life to change how she she reacted to those. Other people have things happen to them, and they never get over them. Well, obviously, if one person getting it over and some other person doesn't, it's possible to get over it if one person's gotten over it. It's possible... It may be more difficult for some of us than others, but at least it's possible. But if I sit there and say, well, you don't understand, it's the way we've always been, it's the way I am, then what you're saying is it's not possible. And you've just excluded God from the situation. So this is a very important principle to understand, and I'm going to go over it again. It's not what happens to you or what happens around you that affects you. It's what you think about what happens around you. We ended last time with a quick story of one of our children when they were young. I think they were about eight months old. 
and they were trying to learn to walk, and I turned the other way. I remember the soul circumstances. I just remember they took a step and fell down and hit their head like that. And the moment they hit their head, they sat up, and they didn't cry. They didn't react. They looked at me because to interpret what that meant. That means that child was too young to put meaning to having bumped his head. And so they looked to me to give them meaning. And I decided to try something out. So instead of going, oh, my baby, I just picked them up and said, wee, wasn't that fun? And went on with something. And they just kind of looked at me and went on. You know, we train our children how to react to the things that happen around us by how we react. And we could spend the whole teaching on that. Okay. We talked about where thoughts come from. They come, some, some of them come from your spirit. Some of them come from demonic spirits around you. Some of them just come from your own mind. Many, most of them do. And sometimes other people, that's where a lot of them come. They'll sow them into you. So you need to be very careful who you're listening to. Who you're letting to sow. Because what we're going to learn tonight is every thought is a part of a picture in your mind. Okay, now... Thoughts, most, many times, thoughts are unnoticed in our mind. We're having them, but we're not conscious that we're having them. That's why one of the things I'm going to teach you how to do is to become aware of your own thoughts. Now, some people are too aware of their thoughts, but most people are, they're just, their mind's running, and they are not conscious of all of what's going on unless some dramatic thought takes place. But every thought in your mind has a significance. Every thought has a significance. So there are thought, most of the time our thoughts are unnoticed or they seem very insignificant. And part of our lesson tonight is to learn that every thought has a significance. And we'll see why in a few minutes. Now, next important principle, very important principle for you to recognize is just because a thought comes to you does not mean you have to accept it. Because you cannot control what thoughts come to you. And you're not responsible for the thoughts that come to you. What you are responsible for is what you do with the thoughts that come to you. You have authority and dominion over your mind. God gave it to you. And because of that authority and dominion, you have a right to decide what thoughts you keep and what thoughts you reject. You can't stop the thought from coming, but you can refuse to accept it. Let me give you an example. I love this example. Your doorbell rings. It's dinner time. And you get up from the table and you go over to the door and you open the door and when you open the door, there's a gentleman standing there in a brown uniform with a brown hat with three letters on it. The first letter is U and the last letter is S. Your door went ding-dong. You open the door and this uniformed gentleman hands you a package. And what's your instinct? to reach out and take the package. But if you've noticed, and I don't know if they've changed the requirements, but before they'll close the door, they want you to do something, don't they? They want you to sign, now it's all electronic, they want you to sign some kind of receipt because once you've signed that receipt, you've accepted ownership of that package. Do you know, and I've checked this out with one of those gentlemen that worked for one of that company, you don't have to accept it. There's no requirement because somebody rings your doorbell and puts a package in your face. You are not legally obligated to take that package. You can say, I don't want it. Now, how do you decide whether to take the package or not? Well, here's how I would decide it. Let's bring it down. Well, one of the ways is to find out where it came from. 
Now, if you've been expecting it, if you ordered, you know, I don't know, some CDs or DVDs from somebody and you see us come from Amazon.com or or wherever and you know that's what you're expecting, that's one thing because you've ordered it and here it comes. But if you weren't expecting something and this person hands this package to you, by the way, they're outside your door. Remember what the door is in your soul? It's your mind. Your mind determines what gets into you and what does not get into you. Just as your taste buds determine what gets into your stomach and what doesn't get into your stomach. Your mind has the ability and the responsibility to choose what you let in and what you don't let in. The problem of is most of us do with our mind the same thing we do with packages. We get all excited. A package for me. And we take it in, we sign for it, and then we figure out what it is. I'm going to go over that again. Ding dong, the door rings. That gets your attention. You go over, you don't even have to open the door. But you choose to open the door. They're standing there, They hand a package to you. You reach out and take the package. They hand you the board or whatever it is now. You sign for it. Goodbye. Thank you very... You don't know what it is. You thanked them for it. Close the door. And now we're going to go figure out what this is, which is now in my house. And I now own it. Well, what should I do? Well... One way to determine whether I want what's in the package is to find out who sent it. And the way you find out who sent it is to see the return address. The reason there's a return address on there is because if you choose not to accept it, that's where they return it. So I take the package in. Now I decide, find out what this thing is. I suggest to you, it's much better off to decide whether you want it before you've signed for it. Because once you've signed for it, it's now your responsibility. If you don't sign for it, it's that company's responsibility to take it back from where it came from. So how does this apply to us? Well, the Bible tells us a way to discern return addresses for thoughts. John chapter 10, verse 10, Jesus says, Satan comes only to steal, kill, or destroy. So if I can discern that this thought has somehow come from Satan or from his locale, then I know that what's inside the package is only designed to steal, to kill, or destroy. But if I recognize that this package has come from from God, from Jesus said, but I have come that you might have life and have that more abundantly. So if I can discern that that package has come from the Lord, then I know that what's inside that package is life and it's life more abundantly. It is an act of your will, just as it's an act of your will whether to receive that package or not, you have the same opportunity to receive or reject every thought that comes to you. Now, one of Satan's devices is to give you some nasty thought, and then the next thought that comes along is what kind of Christian are you because you had that thought? Because remember what he's after. He's after your will. And he's after your will to lower your resistance to him. So he'll fire a, a, a salvo at you, at your mind, giving you this thought, which you had no control over the fact that the doorbell rang. You can't stop who comes to your doorbell door, unless you're in a gated community. But I mean, suppose you're, you know, your, your, your front door is exposed to the world like most people's are. You can't determine, you can't control who comes to your door and rings your doorbell. 
but you can to control whether you open the door. And if you open the door to find out who's there, you can control what comes in the door. In the same way, you can't control who rings the doorbell of your mind with a thought. But what Satan will do is bring a thought to you, and then once you've got the thought and recognize the thought, he'll say, what kind of Christian are you that has those kinds of thoughts? Because if you'll accept that thought, now you begin to let condemnation in, and that's what's inside the package. And condemnation comes only to steal, to kill, or destroy. So we have, as Christians, have authority and the responsibility to control what we let into our mind. I want to tell you a story about my family that... (laughs) Now, I wasn't there when this happened. I was already in college. But I'll never forget this story. One of my brothers was uh, doing a, a project, a science project, and it required doing something with frogs. And so they found some biology catalog, and they had to have a particular kind of frog. If I remember correctly, it was like a Louisiana bullfrog. And so they ordered one. What they didn't realize is this company, and we're talking now a few years ago, They probably couldn't do this anymore. This company didn't ship it first class. They shipped it fourth class. And because shipping it fourth class, there was not a particularly good rate of survival. They didn't send you one frog. They sent multiple ones. This package arrived one day. The doorbell rang. My brother opened the door. And there was a package. He took it in. Without thinking, he decided to just open the package right there. If he had thought or investigated, he'd have discovered that the package contained at least four full-size bullfrogs packed in the space probably large enough to hold one or two that had been in there for I don't know how long. When he opened the package and took the top off, he discovered that these four bullfrogs had one determined purpose. It was to not get back in that box. And my brother and the rest of my household spent I don't know how long chasing bullfrogs all over our house trying to get them under control. All because he didn't bother to discern what was going to happen when he opened the box. I remember that picture when I'm deciding what kind of thoughts I want to let hopping around inside of my mind. Because the thought may look innocent when you bring it inside your mind in the box. But when you open that box and let those bullfrogs loose, they can be extremely difficult to get back in the box. Satan uses that technique to distract us, to wear us down, to overload us. Pornography is like that. One picture that you see never ultimately goes away. Do you understand? Every thought you have is in there that you keep. Now, you reject it, but every thought you have, every picture you have, every memory you have, there's times I've had a smelled an odor, like a perfume or something, and brought back pictures from my childhood. Those were in there. 
those were stored back in there somewhere. This is an incredible computer. Triggered by a memory of my grandmother's perfume or something about her from when I was probably 10 years old. which is a few years ago. Amazing. So we've got to learn to be careful and ask the question. If I'm going to open the box and let these thoughts loose in my mind, I better know what they are and what they're going to do when I let them loose. Because instead of getting right to his project, he had to spend hours and energy on something other than the project just to get the frogs under control. And their thoughts that the enemy brings to you that he wants you to just, because you're unaware, most of us are unaware, we don't realize that we can say, I don't want it. Back to sender. There are thoughts I get, and I'll speak to myself. I won't say it out loud so you can hear it, but I'll talk to myself. I don't want that thought. That's not my thought. And I'll, Jesus, in your name, that's not my thought. Sometimes it's Jesus, 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 Jesus. I don't want that thought. In the name of Jesus, I don't want that. That's not my thought. And it will fade away. That guy eventually gets the idea to get back in his truck and take it back to sender. But if you don't know that you have the right and the ability to do that, we just let anything in. We're so used to dealing with the frogs loose that we don't realize we didn't have to do that. We could stop them. In fact, we're responsible for stopping them at the point. So the next time you have a thought and you hear ding-dong in your mind, you've got to do some investigation. Where has that thought come from and what is its purpose? We're going to begin to talk about that now. So those are thoughts, and we'll give you some techniques, but they're going to be at the thought level to consciously put thoughts in your mind. The next level we've talked about is imaginations. And all that is are images or pictures. Now here's what you may not realize. And it's hard because nowadays we don't see newspapers as much. But most pictures, newspaper pictures, are made up, images are made up of a series of dots. Your television screen, for instance. I believe it still is today. Your television screen is not... on the surface of it, it looks flat, and it's flat, but it's made up of literally rows of dots. Sometimes they're they're little, they're slits, sometimes they're dots, because the way that works, and I don't know if the technology works this way today, is when that camera takes a picture in that studio or wherever they did, that visual image, the light, bounces off Denny's face, goes into the camera, the camera takes those different levels of of light and the different hues of color and converts them into electronic impulses or signals. Those are then transmitted, well, it used to be over the air, now through all kinds of other means, through the internet and through the cable and all of that. But it comes to your television screen, and, and they don't work this way with these flat screens anymore, but they basically do this somehow. There's something in there that now illuminates those rows of dots with the same image at the same, in, the, in the same order in which they were on Denny's face. And I challenge you to go look at your TV screen closely, and you'll see little dots. They're, sometimes they're silver, sometimes... And they light up. The old ones used to light up when this, when this light would hit it. So the point is this. That looks like a picture. But what it's made up is a series of dots that are arranged in an order to match Denny's face or whatever you took the picture of. So if you look at a picture on a newspaper, look at it with a magnifying glass, and you'll see it's a series of dots. Now back in the early 1900s and the late 1800s, there was an entire uh, uh, style of painting called Impressionism. Impressionists. And what they did basically is instead of painting, and I'm not an art student or critic... But from what I understand, instead of simply painting something and the purpose of it is to just look like this landscaping, the purpose of it, instead of to give an accurate depiction of a scene, was to create in you an impression 
emotional impression of what that same scene would have created in you when you saw it in real life. And the way they did that was instead of with brush strokes, they would take the paintbrush and they would paint dots and smudges of colors so that if you stand up too close to an Impressionist painting, it looks like blotches of different colors. But if you stand back, now they begin to have meaning together because those dots begin to have some rational purpose in relating to each other, just as those dots on your TV screen do. If you just look at one dot, you can't tell what the picture is. And if those dots get, if you, you know, something happens in the scrambling of that picture the wrong way, then what you're going to get is a mishmash of colors and lights because those dots are in the wrong order or they're being lit up in the right, wrong order. But it's only when they come in the right order do you get the actual picture. But the whole lesson right now is that every picture is made up of a series of dots that are put together in such an order as to create an image. Are you all with me so far? Okay. Now, what's, you, you don't need to know all that to enjoy the picture because I'm, sh- I'm sure many of you didn't realize your TV worked that way and yet you've been able to enjoy watching TV because you don't need to understand that. But when it comes to your mind, it's very important that you understand how images are formed in your mind. Because if you don't understand how they're formed in your mind, you will not have control over the images that are formed in your mind. And the struggles that you may be going through right now are a direct result of some images that have been formed in your mind because you did not know that you could take control over it or somebody else did and they put images in your mind. But what we're learning is they can't just put an image in your mind. What they do is put thoughts in your mind. And your mind, we talked about this last week, your mind is designed in such a way as whatever happens to you, it tries to form meaning out of what you think. It, it tries to connect the dots together to form some kind of picture or some kind of image. I'll give you an example of that. One of the ways my mind works, if I find that something, you know, someone died unexpectedly or something bad happened to somebody, one of the first questions that comes to my mind was, how old were they? Were, had they been sick a long time? Because what I'm trying to do is piece something together so that I can understand why that happened. Because if things happened that we have no explanation for, it makes us feel insecure. We want to know that there's a rational reason for something, and then we want to see how we fit into that. Well, I'm not that age. I don't have that disease, so I can feel sorry for them, but it's not going to affect me. But if it happens to somebody my age, somebody I knew, and I can't find some explanation then my mind has trouble finding meaning to that. So one of the meanings may be, oh my goodness, there's a threat here somewhere. That's just an example. So our minds are always trying to... So what our minds try to do is take thoughts and collect them together to form images. And the images that you're struggling with are because you didn't consciously do that. So what we're going to learn, the process of renewing our mind, is going to learn how to take what goes on in our mind, and we exercise dominion over it. We take the initiative, so we begin to form images that are based on the Word of God. But to do that, you've got to understand how your mind works, that it works with thoughts, that now you put those thoughts together to form an image that's based on the Word of God. All right. So let's talk a little bit about... uh, 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 so you, so what, what these images are like. <clears throat> They're like dreams. If you've ever had a dream, you've ever had a dream? Okay, okay. I hope you're not dreaming now. All right. Okay. <laughs> dreams are amazing things. I mean, sometimes they're just so clear and vivid, and you, have, you, you wake up and say, why did I wake up? I wanted to finish that dream. Then you have others, you wake up and say, oh, that was just a dream. I, it's not real. I don't, I'm, not, you know, I'm not facing the firing squad, or I'm not jumping out of a plane at 30,000 feet without a parachute, or, or whatever it was. And it's, uh, So dreams are amazing things. But you notice when you're in the middle of that dream, and then you wake up, what happens to the dream? It's, it's there for a while until what happens? You begin to tell somebody. 
Have you ever noticed the minute you start to tell somebody, it goes away? Because that dream is not a rational thing. And when you begin to explain it to somebody, you're using the rational, intelligent part of your mind. The dream doesn't take place in that part of your mind. But if you also noticed that dreams can be so powerful that your body physically reacts that way. If you felt like you, you know, your dream was you jumped out of a plane at 30,000 feet and suddenly you realized, oh, I forgot something. <laughs> I forgot the parachute. When you wake up, you're holding on to the pillow for dear life. Your heart's pumping a thousand miles a minute and you're sweating all over the place and you never left your bed. Now think about that. That image in your mind is so powerful that your body is physically reacting to it as if it were actually happening. You can be in the middle of something mad at somebody and wake up and want to tear their head off and you haven't seen them for a while. The other thing is that when you wake up from the dream, after a short time, it just fades away. Now, did you ever try to go back later on and describe it? It's like, where did it go? And yet it was so real. You can replace the dream. You can replace an image, excuse me. An image may be of something that's true, Excuse me. An image may be of something that is true, but it's not the truth. An image may be of something that's true, but it's not the truth. Do you have that slide to put up? This is a picture of my our granddaughter Emma at a Christmas tea that my wife took her to at Blythewood. Uh, museum. That's Christmas time. Isn't she pretty? That's not my granddaughter. As far as I know, my granddaughter's home in bed. That's a picture of my granddaughter. It's important to understand. That picture exists on the screen, but that's not her. So that is an accurate picture of what she looks like, but that's not her. In the same way, images can be very accurate, can be very precise, but they only exist in your mind. They may be an accurate reflection of something that actually exists. And in her case, that's an accurate picture of what she looks like, but not right now. It's really important to understand. Because remember, like a dream, we react to those images as if they are real. Until we understand that they only exist in my mind. That firing squad was not really out there aiming the rifles at me. It felt like it. My body was reacting to it. But when I woke up and realized, oh, that was just a dream. Oh, that's just a picture of Emma. Then I come back to what reality is and realize that experience was only exists in my mind. And the reason that's so important is because if it only exists in my mind, I can change it. If it really exists out here, I may not have the power to change it. So that if I am actually have my back against the wall and there are 21 rifles actually aimed at me, if I'm actually just jumped out of the airplane at 30,000 feet, then I don't care how many times I slap myself and try to wake up, I'm in trouble. 
But if I can identify whether this is just an image or it's a reality, it determines whether I can do something about it or whether I can't. What I want, the whole purpose of this is for you to understand that images in your mind can be changed. You may have been reacting to it your whole life, but it only exists in your mind. And because it exists in your mind, it can be replaced with another image that supersedes it. So the fact that it's been controlling you, the fact that it's been a stronghold in your life has nothing to do with it because it's not based on truth. So if you've got this image in your head that you're a failure, you're never going to amount to anything, that only exists in here. It doesn't exist in God's mind. Because in God's mind, the truth is you're His child. He lives in you. All those things on the left-hand side that we saw weeks ago, that's the truth. The reason there's so little of it on the right-hand side is because it doesn't match the image we have in here of ourselves. And so we're going through this exercise tonight for you to understand that the images that you have in your mind can be changed because they're not based on reality. They're based on thoughts that were put in your mind over years that you've accepted without realizing that that's what you were doing, that either you have formed them into a picture or other people have helped you form them into a picture and those images have been affecting you and controlling you and they've been exalting themselves against the knowledge of God in you. And we're going to learn that God has given us weapons that are mighty in God for the pulling down of those strongholds. Images. 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 They seem so real to us, but they're so important. You have to be able to see yourself doing something before you'll do it. Peter's a good example. They're in a boat in a storm. You can take the picture off now. They're in a boat in a storm. And and the the story is, in in the Gospels, is that they were afraid they were going to sink. And as we mentioned many times before, that had to be significant because these were fishermen. These were their boats. They were used to being out in storms. And this storm was so bad, they were thinking they were going to sink. And it says, Jesus came walking on the water, and in Mark's account, He would have gone by them. And Peter cries out to Him and said, Master. And Jesus said, Don't worry, it's me. And Peter says, Master, if it's you, bid me to come. And Peter got out of the boat and began to walk. Now, where did Peter get the idea of walking in the water? Because he saw somebody walk on water. So he had an image of someone walking on water. And so he connected dots in his mind. Well, if he says to do this, I can do it. So Peter put his sandals over the side and began to walk on water until he noticed the wind and the rain and the waves, and he began to sink. Why? Because Peter had never yet formed an image in himself of him walking on water. He could see Jesus walking on water, but the moment he looked at himself and took his eyes off of... The moment what he saw wasn't Jesus, but when he looked at himself, he couldn't see himself walking on water, and he began to sink. We're going to look at how to change the most important images that you have. There are many images we have in our mind, but the important ones are how you see God. Notice 2 Corinthians 10 talks about that exalts itself against the knowledge of God. I've been noting places where it talks about the knowledge of God. Peace and grace be multiplied unto you through the knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. God wants us to know Him. God wants us to not just believe in Him, but to know Him. And that we might know the breadth and length and height and depth and to know the love of Christ that passes understanding. Give to us a spirit of wisdom and revelation in the knowledge of Him. God wants us to know Him. But this verse tells us there are things that have been put into us and that Satan wants to put into us that exalt themselves in the way of knowing God. 
And one of those is images of what God is like. Those were put in you from your childhood. God's plan for the family that was created back in Genesis is that through the covenant relationship of oneness between a man and a woman, God ordained the act that would create a human life. That's the main reason God hates fornication. God hates that activity outside of the covenant of marriage because it's the breaking of a covenant, that's in Malachi 3, and because it's, it's engaging in an act that creates life and then releases that life into the care of people who have not entered into a loving, godly covenant relationship. The reason that's important is in the context of that covenant, loving relationship, they're going to be raised with thoughts and images that help them to form a healthy image of what God is like by watching the relationship between this godly man and this godly woman as they walk in this loving relationship with each other. That was God's plan. But of course, that's where Satan comes in to attack, and that's where he's still attacking in his frontal attack even today. That's what he's after. It's in the book of Revelation. He's after the seed. He's after the seed. He's after the seed. He's after the seed. And our seed today is under an incredible attack of Satan out there. It's going to take a move of God to stop this. And so, so and the other image that's critical is the image of yourself. Because you can have a great image of God, but if you think you're a piece of trash, even though you've been a Christian for 30 years, you won't have confidence to come to Him. Although, the, Even though the Word tells us all over the place that we have free and open access to Him. Because we'll reject that Word. Remember, the mind is the gate that controls what goes in and what goes out. Now, because this image only exists in your mind, it can be changed. You can't tear down the old image. It's in there. But what you can do is stop feeding it. But that's not enough. What we're going to learn to do is to stop feeding the old images and start creating new ones that replace them. And we'll begin to talk about that next week. We're going to get into next week. There's one more element, and it's the strongholds. Because what a stronghold is, a stronghold is when that image has been there so long, when that image has been there so long, it controls you without you even thinking about it. 